This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody it's me sarah century we're bitches on comics uh this week we are sick bitches on comics i am sick i have a cold because it is that time of the year halloween you know so it has positives and negatives right like you know how it is we have at least one other host one of our hosts is not here but another is here so i mean hello yeah i'm glad you remembered me um so hey <laughs> I am Monica Estrella Negra, uh, also a co-host of Bitches on Comics. I am not sick, thank God. I'm just sick of this world. <laughs> Every day, I wake up. Anyway, we have a lovely guest here today. <laughs> we have Sam Richard, owner of Weird Punk Books. How you doing, Sam? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. I am also not sick, to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> But sick of something, right? Well, I'm sick of a lot of things, but physically I'm doing all right. (laughs) Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. I literally just had to mute for a second so that I could go. (laughs) I thought you were puking, honestly. And I just was like, well, I guess this is is how we're doing it. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that level no. of commitment, though, like that that would be possible that, you know, Sarah's going to be here, going to, you know, co-host the interview, <laughs> might be throwing up, but we're here for it. Seriously, no, this was actually a text conversation we had before the call where Monica was like, are you sure you obviously? I asked her person? last <laughs> night. I was like, um, if you're sick, maybe you should stay in bed. And she's like, no, Essie made the graphic. We got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so you see the level of dedication here at Bitches on Comics. Even when we're on our deathbed, we will still interview you. Wow, I super hope I'm not on my deathbed. Thank you, Monica. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just envisioning that recording. <laughs> yeah, when 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 we get there in in many 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 years, can I please be the guest for that one too? Yes. Oh, yeah. We're recording live from Sarah's deathbed, and her cats will still want her to feed them <laughs> while walking over her corpse, actually, yeah. and meowing. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how it's going to happen. Uh-huh. This is the thing. See, you say this, and then I have to go into my rant about how inevitably my pets are going to eat me after I die, and yeah. we've made peace with that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't actually matter if we've made peace because they didn't ask. They didn't like, ask. They don't give a fuck. They're like, I was like finally. I, I was like, I forgive you for when you eat me after I die, and they're just like, yeah, great. <laughs> we are going to do it either way. Right. <laughs> 
Well, I think that this is an appropriately morbid beginning to this interview. <laughs> it's spooky time. Come yeah. on. Death. Sick bitches. Down, 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 down. Sarah, are you down with the sickness? <laughs> well, I am literally down with the sickness. That's actually, um, yeah, well. Sorry. I really need to sit with that for a while. But in the meantime, I guess we can ask Sam <laughs> some questions. For instance, so you are the owner of Weird Punk Books, but I would love to hear a little bit about you. And, um, you know, you are clearly also a horror writer in your own right. You've done many anthologies. This is all kind of a lot of many things and specific things to get into. But if you just sure. want to give us a slight overview where people might know you from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I've been right, you know, I'm one of, like everybody most people who write, like I've been writing for forever, uh, but kind of in the very early thousands, I did a lot of journalistic, quote unquote, type writing. It was mostly writing for punk zines and, you know, websites that covered punk and hardcore and metal bullshit and some politics, like lefty politics. And then in the mid aughts, I did more like actually paid journalistic stuff, writing for a local alternative weekly that doesn't exist anymore. And that was mostly like show write-ups and uh, either like putting stuff on the calendar or actually like reviewing or talking about like an art show I went to that I thought was really cool. It was just like an easy way to make a little bit of scratch here and there. But the itch was always there to write fiction, like going way back to high school. And so in the very early thousands, when I was doing zine stuff, I was also writing really terrible novels that'll never see the light of day. Uh, <laughs> and then for a long time, I was like, oh, I should write. I should write. I was doing kind of experimental stuff, kind of cut up stuff just for fun. I did some zines with some friends and my friend Emma Alice Johnson uh, at, at that time was, I think, just starting to get published. This would have been like 2012 or something. And she was always so encouraging, like, because we would talk about it. And she's like, just write, just write, just write. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And I kind of start and then I would fail or I would give up because I get frustrated. And then eventually it started like really taking it more seriously. And the first published stuff I have is around 2015. And that was 2014 was when Weird Punk was founded by Emma with me as the editor or like co-editor, and we did anthologies together. And then eventually she gave me the press, uh, which is a whole kind of long story, but um, which we can get into, but we also don't have to. Uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I wrote uh, the To Wallow and Ash and Other Sorrows, which won the Wonderland uh, in 2019. Uh, that's probably the book people most know me from, but actually maybe Sabbath of the Fox Devils, my novella has more readers uh, and then the anthologies are like I did the the New Flesh with uh, Brendan Vedito and I co-edited, which is a literary tribute to David Cronenberg. I did I edited Zombie Punk's Fuck Off, which was the first Weird Punk title that I was like fully like I was running Weird Punk, but I didn't know what to do, how to do everything yet. So I pulled in Clash, my friends who run Clash, and they kind of co-released it with me. Uh, yeah, that's maybe what people know me from. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think at that point right it's I'm always worrying about that too like well you might know me from my podcast but you might know me from this other podcast but then you might know me from like it's kind of the downside I guess of 
doing too many things. And then people, yep. you know, I guess um, in today's world, very much being like, I need a soundbite. I need you to say this in three words. Right. Like I've had people be like, sum up your whole deal in like one sentence. And I'm like, <laughs> stop talking to me. I am not the one to do that. I'm not doing this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want to do this. I always yep. hate that stuff. But yeah, Weird Punk has been publishing so many works. We're going to talk a lot about it because, yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's such an interesting publishing company. Independent horror, obviously, has been just absolutely like sweeping the table. There's been so many excellent books released, I think, for such a long time. Um, so, yeah, kind of, I guess uh, my question would be, how how does Weird Punk kind of fit into this like larger independent horror landscape uh that's or where kind of, how do you want it to i guess would probably be the best question because it's like okay. hard to see if you have like yeah tunnel vision right it is it's, it's hard to see from the inside i have no idea what people's perception is of it other than what you know various people have told me they think their perception you know their individual perception of it is where i would like it to be is basically i think about the company the publishing company like a punk label like a diy ethical like politically motivated punk label, uh, the kinds of, you know, that I still listen to bands that are on and the kinds that I came up listening to bands put off by various labels in this kind of set. I think about that attitude and that uh, position and how I can apply that to weird fiction, weird, weird horror specifically. And my goal is to just see that grow in terms of readership, but not grow necessarily in terms of becoming a giant thing if 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 i could eventually have like one other person who i pay to do some things on the side for me that i don't have time to do or don't want to do like that would be fine but i'm also totally okay still just it being me uh running things probably because i have like a control issue with everything uh but i, I would really like to just see it grow in terms of the readership again applying it to the idea of similar to being a punk label when i was coming up like it as a like I'm 40 so I you know grew up in the 80s and then it was a teenager in the 90s and when I first got into underground music it was always like looking through records that I would buy or touring bands I'd buy a record from them and I would look through the label like whatever uh bands the label was also putting out and then also looking through thanks list for what bands I want to listen to and that's like what I want people to do with with book publishing companies with small presses is like I my ideal reader is someone who's going to go like this book was cool what else have they done like not just the author and certainly the author but what else has the press done I really love this idea because I and I think we've talked a little bit about it before um as we are friends in real life yes um <laughs> so I believe that we've kind of gone over it just a little bit but I was thinking too that you do some very punk things for instance I think anthologies generally are kind of a punk thing because you're bringing so many people together with these like shared interests and so I was wondering, yeah, could you expand on that like a little bit further? Do you think that anthologies kind of serve a greater purpose with that? A lot of your anthologies have been specifically punks, for instance. Like <laughs> yes. Nazi, yeah, yeah, zombie punks fuck off. Yeah. Um, these are things that I think, um, you know, it just kind of like lends to sort of a community spirit. Yeah, I, I think there is an element to the analog between the idea of what uh, – 
anthology is and what a compilation album is. Like, it's almost a one-to-one for me, but like a themed compilation album, which is a thing that does exist. I think just it's less so than here's a bunch of bands that we like. Uh, So I, I think there is a, you can draw like a line between those two ideas. And it's also for me, works is a really good opportunity to work with people who I might not get to work with otherwise. Uh, people who are either they're kind of roughly for lack of a better term, like station as a horror writer is above my pay grade or above my visibility level. Uh, I can, you know, like the new flesh has uh, Brian Evanson in it, the new flesh and stories of the eye, the upcoming anthology, but uh, both have Gwendolyn kissed in them. These are like writers who are really up in a higher echelon than at the very least where I would, from an inward perspective, put either myself or the press and for right or for wrong, I don't really tend to think in hierarchies like that, but it's also good to acknowledge that like, yeah, I probably can't call, you know, someone of that level to just be like, hey, I run a small press. But once you have worked with someone because they're interested in the project, it becomes easier to be like, hey, if you ever had something, I'd be open to looking at it for publication, like a longer thing, a novella or a short story collection, which hasn't you know, happened with writers on that level, but it's certainly enabled me to work with writers who I may not have been exposed to otherwise. Otherwise, even like Joe Quinnell uh, was in Zombie Punk's Fuck Off. And then I published The Mud Ballad. The Mud Ballad was the first novella Weird Punk published uh, just because I had such a great time working with her on her story in Zombie Punk's. And then we met at uh, Bizarro Con that year and like that following year. And then now she's literally one of my best friends and is one of the best writers who I know. Uh, And it just happenstance from like, we did this anthology and she submitted a story that was fucking perfect for it. Um, So I I like to think of it almost in a weird way of like this community building effort. Like it really kind of is. And the other thing that makes anthologies quite punk is that they don't make any fucking money. (laughs) You put a lot of money into them and then not a lot comes out. But it's they're fun projects to do. So I'm I'm willing to do it. I mean, maybe less so now. After New Flesh, I was like, I'm done doing open submission anthologies. And then Joe Koch talked me into doing Stories of the Eye. And now I'm again saying I'm done doing open call anthologies, but, you know, we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. That's always the catch with anything punk, right? Is that you do a lot of great work, but it never pays you. And I definitely (laughs) feel that in my heart and soul, especially because um, I used to organize punk shows in order to raise money for uh, leftist, like, grassroots organizations in Chicago. And I did that for about five years. And then I took that same DIY ethic uh, towards filmmaking, And essentially, like, you know, filmmaking in itself is expensive. And if you are not a rich kid or you don't have the nepotism, you know, the nepotism genie lamp or whatever, like, it's really (laughs) hard to, you know, get your stuff distributed and things like that. But in relation to that of not having, like, those ties to, like, those, like, big publishing houses or anything like that, how have you been able to sustain Weird Punk? Um, stubbornness is a definitely a part of it, uh, which I think is a really important thing if you're going to try to do anything more or less like DIY style. I mean, it's important to think if you're going to do any kind of endeavor that you're just deciding to do. Stubbornness is like the number one thing. Writing a book takes stubbornness. Recording an album to or like writing an album to record takes stubbornness. It's all stubbornness and just having the tenacity to like, 
I think when people say tenacity, I always think like that you, you go in there and you get them and you get your stuff in front of people. When I think of tenacity, it's like the sitting down and doing the thing, no matter how like much it is annoying at that time, no matter how much you want to give up, you just keep doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that's really stubbornness is the thing that's kept the press alive. It was a process because when Emma gave me weird punk, that was like on the tail of my wife dying. And she had been such a supporter of the press and of my writing just in general, obviously. And Emma gave it to me and I wasn't really in a state to be able to do anything with it. And Mm -hmm. zombie punks fuck off was like done. Uh, And I just like, yeah, wasn't in a state, but I gave it some time. And then I kept thinking about a, like I really wanted that project to be completed because Mo was really excited for the project to again, like just celebrated everything was like my backbone for everything. Just like was always there supporting me. And I was like, she would want to see me do this. She would want this book to exist. So I even like mm-hmm. scrapped the story I had written for it and wrote a new one that was much more in line with what I was going through. And uh, when I came back to do it and was now like, I'm weird punk and I have to, you know, figure out how to do this. The next pivot was the anthologies prior to that, when Emma was the owner operator, uh, the vision was her vision for the press is where punk and weird fiction collide, which is a really cool thing. And I'm, you know, been in punk bands. Punk is a huge thing in my life. It's definitely a, a driving force behind how I like live. Uh, but at the same time, I'm into a lot of other stuff, and I have passions that aren't just that. To the to the point where after three punk forward anthologies, it's kind of ready to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that was the like, okay, if I'm gonna take the press, we I did zombie punks, and then it was like, what do I do now? And mm-hmm. I just didn't want to do another punk anthology. I really didn't want to do something that was like directly punk inspired. And I started thinking about like how I would approach this now that it's mine was the idea of the 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 punk spirit being the way in which I operate and less the aesthetic value behind the press. And that pivot made us do the new flesh. And Brendan and I, the day we met, were like, why has no one done a David Cronenberg tribute? And this was like three mm-hmm. years before it came out. And mm-hmm. so we just were like, oh, well, now that I'm running Weird Punk, we can. And then that became kind of the jumping off point for everything the press has done since, where it's focused on that more stranger side of horror that more visceral body horror and it's not exclusively body horror i've got cosmic horror i just like weird horror in general but stuff that kind of moves away from your standard horror tropes in the name of something more forward thinking more interesting and like i like watching tropey movies and reading tropey books but i think more about like what i want to see what i want to help put out into the world is stuff that's just more in the like del abyss way of things more in that stranger side of what horror literature can be And it was taking all of those ideas and being like, I'm going to be stubborn as fuck to make this happen. And even if making this happen just means this is something that I do when I get home from work, which is what Weird Punk was up until I got laid off uh, at the beginning of COVID. It was something that I did in my off hours. And to be honest, it was like reading the new flesh submissions. We got so many that I was reading those on hours at my tech job that I had at the time. Uh, (laughs) Like I was literally like reading like 10 submissions a day when I should have been working. Uh, yeah. You, know, hey, you were getting paid. You were getting paid to do <laughs> right. your passion. That's exactly. how we're looking at it. <laughs> yeah. 
I never got pulled in, in, into an office saying I wasn't doing my job, so I think I was doing okay. But uh, ever since I got laid off, and then with Eric LaRocca's Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, that sold so many copies, like a tremendous amount, to the point where weird punk is a thing that I can just do for a living for a little while longer. I've just been kind of trying to make it work, trying to make it work, hanging on to, to living cheap to, to just avoid going back to an office and a job that I don't like. And again, that's just my pure stubbornness at play. And what, you know, what happens in the future if I run out of money and I have to get a real job, then again, that'll just be what I do. And then I'll just keep doing weird punk because I kind of at this point don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'm just doing it. And I love doing it, even though it's hard. So I really think the secret is stubbornness. Awesome. You put out novellas as well. And I want to talk a little bit about your focus on novellas because you generally aren't doing like long form from what I understand. And I am here for long form horror, but I do notice, and this is just me personally, this is not a fact Uh to quote, but I am going (laughs) to say my hot take is, is that the longer a book goes, the longer, like the more space it has to kind of like disappoint me at a certain point and be like, okay, I've lost interest. Like we've gone 400 pages. I'm done. Um, I've always, and like, this is not actually that much of a hot take because anybody who follows me probably could catch the gist that I have a very love hate relationship with Stephen King, but like, there's so many (laughs) Stephen King books where you're just like, stop this story now. (laughs) Stop it. Did we, did we really need 70 pages in a Chinese restaurant? 70 pages. really, I'm so (laughs) mad. And I think that, you know, but like, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter what I say about Stephen King. Stephen King is fine. Um, (laughs) There's no, Sarah Century does not dethrone Stephen King. (laughs) That's, we're going to make that happen though. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm not that big of a fan. And people are like, you know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> JK. I, I, no, you're not. Uh, it like a, uh, it's like, see, this is what happens. Is like, I'm always, um, I'm always trying to be more diplomatic than I actually am inside. You- and so <laughs> I'm always like, oh, you know, like I've read things I didn't hate and like all of that. But I do notice that there is always a moment in a Stephen King book where I'm like, this is such, this is like the Stephen King thing that he does every time where you're like, oh, here we go. We're going to have to hear about this girl's nibbles like halfway through <laughs> like a, like otherwise, you know, it's like it's oh, there's always something with this guy. Anyway, you're fine, Stephen King. You've you're among so friends. It's, it's okay. You have you're... truly, he has truly employed so many more people than we will ever employ. And I think that that is admirable. Um, you know, anyway, the point is, is, is that I'm like, let me just, let me jump to the side just to drag somebody completely tangentially to the conversation. But I think that novellas, Short, sweet, to the point. I can read them in maybe a long afternoon. Like, I love a horror novella, and I think that horror is really specifically well-suited to a novella. Now, again, this is not to say I don't like any long-form horror (laughs) novels, because I do, but I think that there is something to be said for the format, right? Short, scary, we're done, I'm out, you know, kind of situation. So I guess, obviously, there's, um, you know, maybe, like, 
a cheaper publishing. There's like many things to kind of look at whenever it comes to why you pursue novellas specifically. But I'd just like to hear a little bit more. Do you feel like they serve a like a specific purpose in horror? Yeah, I really do. I'm I am very much in agreement with you, and I would like one day over beers to talk about Stephen King with you. I won't do that now, but that's a conversation <laughs> I very much want to have as someone who feels pretty similarly with a lot of what you said. You have no idea. <laughs> we will get into it. Okay. <laughs> but as far as novellas go, novella to me is the perfect distillation of what horror can be at its most effective. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I love short stories too because uh, there's like a quick pop to a short story that really works for me. And there are certainly horror novels that I love as well. But the novella is horror in its purest format. Because uh, with a short story, sometimes it's definitely to its benefit that you don't get a bunch of extra stuff or you don't get a ton of details, which is cool. But with a novella, you can flesh those out, you can make it feel more lived in, you can make the characters come to life brighter. Uh, And with a novel, there's so much room for all of the tension to get buried by additional plot, by additional details, by stuff that doesn't really need to be there. And it's just certainly a different way of reading, which is fine. Again, there's novels I love. uh, But the novella is my perfect sweet spot for reading, both in terms of horror and just in general. It's most of my favorite books, I think, if I really think about it, are novellas, uh, just incidentally. And a lot of them would still get called novels because... Any book that came out in a certain era from, you know, major presses that is considered a classic is a novel, even though like Story of the Eye or The Old Man in the Sea or Nausea are novellas, they're considered novels. But the novella is just the perfect purest form of horror. And the main reason I publish them is because they're the thing I most enjoy reading. Uh, Part of it is I think about a novella like watching a movie. Like it's you can watch it in two You can watch a movie in like two hours, roughly, generally. You can read a horror novella in two to three to four, depending on, you know, a novella can be up to 40,000 words, depending on how uh, quick of a reader you are and depending on how distracted you get by other things. But you could sit down and just read through a novel without having, or novella without having to stop. And I think that that really helps the story format um, in a way that's different than how people read novels, because you generally don't read a whole novel in one sitting, which is fine. And maybe that's part of the power of that form, too, is that it has that kind of area to give you the breathing and thinking about it during the day and then returning to it at night. And novellas can do that, but you can also just fucking sit down and read the whole thing. So it's like watching a movie in that way. And I just think that that's beautiful. On top of all of that, as an editor, I don't want to edit anything more than 40,000 words. <laughs> I just, it, it's like brain melting. Uh, yeah. Like, it, it's not, fu- at that point, it becomes not fun to me. And uh, granted, editing is never like super, I'm having a fucking blast. But it's, you know, it's fine. It, it can be really fun. But when you reach a certain threshold for me, my brain like shuts off and it doesn't want to take any more information in. And that's really why I capped off the like 20 to 50 K or sorry, 20 to 40 K for what I, what I tend to publish with novellas. And I do for short story collections, it's a different window that goes a little higher, but uh, because then it's easy because you're doing a story at a time is a different type of editing than a whole big cohesive piece. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I, I've, 
coming out of like the bizarro scene where that's kind of where I first fell into to small press stuff because that's what Emma was a part of. So I used to go to, I go to bizarro con and like the wonderland award is, award is the bizarro award. like that's what I won. And there's a lot of novellas in the bizarro scene. I think in part because those worlds tend to work better in that shorter format. Like certainly there are not bizarro novels, like full length novels, but I really think that like 20 to 30 K for those is a pretty perfect spot. And I just kind of adopted that for what I publish again, partially because editing and just because I like reading it. Last night I was missing the days of you would find these horror anthology magazines that would be $10 or something, sometimes like $8, usually printed on newsprint, you know, they look like shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're awesome, but they look like shit, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're like totally tacked together one step away from being zines. You can just call them zines. But I like obviously printed at home, you know, but I loved those. And I was looking to see if I could find one to subscribe to today in 2022. And it's not that shocking that you can't find it because obviously, you know, print, mail, pandemic, literally everything is is against that specific format. But I was just thinking about how much I missed that. Hello, lovely bitches. <laughs> I had to call you that because people call us that in emails all the time. And yeah. it's bold. It's bold, but I'm not saying I don't like it. So hi, lovely bitches. We love you. Thank you for listening in. It means the world to us. If you want to support us, you know all this stuff you can do. You can rate and review. You can tell your friends about us. You can tell people you've never met. You <laughs> can high five strangers and be like, hey, wash your hands. Then go listen to Bitches on Comics. That'd be fantastic. One way you can help that maybe you haven't thought of, which seems impossible if you've been listening to the podcast, <laughs> is you can join us on Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's this really cool platform that allows independent creators to get sort of crowdfunded on a regular basis. Right now, we are, you know, we have wonderful followers. I don't know how many we have. It's around 40, I think. Around and 40. It's so awesome to have 40. I remember whenever we first started, I was like, okay, the best I've done on a Patreon is like three. So mm-hmm. like, let's see how this goes. So it's really nice to have 40. And people are in and out and stuff like that, which is how I am on Patreon as well. And I think it's kind of, uh, it's like good to, yeah. to keep the variety going, right? Do what's right for you. And if you've been a patron in the past, thank you so much. If you're a patron now, OMG, you're the best. Thank you for being here with us. If you got some extra bones rattling around in your pocket, I mean money, not actual bones. Although <laughs> send bones sell to a different, bones. <laughs> send bones to a different address. Um, <laughs> I'll give you that address if you email me. It's patreon.com slash bones. Um, if you... <laughs> So if you want to help us out not giving us bones, you can go to patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You can join us for as little as $2 a month or as much as you'd like. The cool thing about our Patreon is we decided we didn't care for the tiers. So it's really like what, what works for you? How can you help us? How much can you help us at? Choose the amount that works for you and, and thank you for coming and joining us. Over on Patreon, we have tons of bonus content from comics coverage to TV and film coverage and everything that 
might be in between. I don't know what that would be, but I'm sure there's something. We also have discount codes that we share with you from all of our queer spec projects, including Decoded Pride and our secret upcoming projects. And as well as access to all of the existing bonus episodes. I think at this point we have over a hundred bonus episodes on our Patreon. And hey, word to the wise, you don't actually even have to be a patron to go listen to a bunch of them. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash bitches on comics. If you can join us for two bucks or more a month, OMG, please do. If you can't, go listen to the free episodes. We want you to get the content. We have a good time talking about everything from Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn, Nicolas Cage. Don't ask questions. Just go listen. And we really appreciate you. Again, we're at Patreon.com slash bitches on comics. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So in lieu of like the zines, like horror anthologies that used to happen back in our day, 30 years ago, 40 years, I don't know, we're old. (laughs) Anyway, have they been replaced by, you know, like Patreon anthologies or anything like that? And horror, just in general, horror novellas and like the anthologies and stuff from small presses, Mm -hmm. because a lot of small presses do anthology novels, but you just don't very often see like a series, right? And like you don't see them in those kind of shorter formats. And there's something to be lost in that, I think. But I was thinking a lot about it because I was like, it's awesome that you can just go pick up, you know, horror anthologies from small presses. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just an acknowledgement of like what people are capable of committing to, you know, in 2022. Mm -hmm. As you said, anthologies really don't make money. I'm sure that anthology magazines make even less money. Um, that has to just be like a completely devastating, <laughs> like, like, oh, well, we sold 40 copies and it cost <laughs> us $7,000. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think maybe it's just like kind of mainlining it a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
I can. That was a that. question mark because I'm not. I'm not 100. <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, it was it was definitely just like open for it because I think about the different ways that like horror literature has like transformed over the past couple Ooh, of years yeah. and how small yeah. presses have like made sure that their work gets out there and like even before we all became involved on the internet like there was just like a word of mouth situation and I wonder like how much of like social media also influences the strength of like independent presses and I know that you go to a lot of conventions um, in order to uh, get your work out there and I'd like to know like what is the convention scene like out there for a horror literature press uh, it's it's good. I'll get to that in a second, but I do want to. You're talking about social media, and I'll just say like social media is fucking huge for small presses. The reason mm-hmm. that things have gotten worse since we last spoke pop popped off the way it did was because it kept going viral on TikTok and Twitter, and oh, so it, it okay. sold like decent, you know, for a small press title at first, like above decent at first, and then it kept. It would get like some account with like 90,000 followers would retweet about it. Half the Mm -hmm. time they were just like, I don't know anything about this. The cover just looks amazing. And then people (laughs) read it and then TikTokers got a hold of it and it kept showing up in TikTok. People being like the most disturbing books I've ever read and it would be in that list. And these are like TikTok accounts with like 150,000 followers. And so a grip of those people were like, well, what is this book? I have to buy it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I will say I was never like this is the most disturbing book that became like a hype machine with that. That wasn't Eric and I saying that yeah. <laughs> if you're well seasoned in horror, it's like, I mean, it's good, but it wasn't like I was like, this isn't, you know, like the most shocking thing you've ever read. But people, uh, but I think, for nor- but you yeah, know, yeah, exactly. It was yeah, like for yeah, people yeah, who yeah. are not super deep in horror, they were like, oh, my God, this is fucking crazy. Uh, but but the um, the convention scene is really interesting as a small press and an author, it's this weird dual role thing that I have to do because I'm there as weird punk. It just makes the most sense to be there as weird punk, but then having my books. And at this point, all of my books are now just like under weird punk. Uh, so that makes it easy because I don't have to go like, oh, and these are books that I wrote that I that other presses published. <laughs> like it's just here's here's what I do and these are my books and these are the anthologies and these are books by other authors and I do the whole spiel. But the interesting, uh, every event I do is different because there are so few expressly horror, expressly literature conventions. Like there are some, I, do, I did AuthorCon last year, the Scares That Care AuthorCon, or this year, it was the beginning of this year, which is horror writers. Uh, and I'll do like KillerCon, but which is also like a that's where the Splatterpunk Awards happen. Uh, and that's a horror writers convention also. But it, and there's tabling, but it's more like there's a dealer's room that's kind of open during the day. But most people aren't hanging out in there like maybe a traditional convention. It's more of a like family reunion type vibe, uh, more of like a weirdo summer camp almost. Uh, but so there are horror literature conventions, but there are really not a lot of them. There's a lot of literary conventions and i'm starting to do more of those and those are always really interesting because it's like the npr set uh who tends to go to those (laughs) i'm just envisioning like because i've seen like your display on instagram (laughs) so i'm just like envisioning like the birkenstock crowd just walking by just like "Hmm, i wonder what this is about yeah (laughs) not not shading birkenstocks y'all yeah yeah for sure no hate no hate mail (laughs) 
and no shade on NPR either. Like they're whatever, it's fine. <laughs> but it's definitely the, <laughs> it's it's that kind of like literature crowd. And there's a lot of people who are really into literature, who are really into reading books about sad alcoholic hipsters in New York having problems, which is fine. I'm not throwing shade on that, but like, that's not what I publish. So I get a lot of people who are like, look at it, kind of look down on it because it's horror. My whole approach is the the type of stuff that I publish. I mentioned before Del Abyss, which for people who don't know, was a, a line of horror novels and a few anthologies that came out in the early, like very late eighties into the early nineties. Uh, it was around for like three or four years. I think they only put out like 70 books. Kathy Koja was one of the writers, Poppy Z bright, Dennis Etchinson, uh, Michael Arnzen. Like there's a whole list of these really, it's like forward thinking horror and their approach, like all of those writers, like Kathy Koja is one of my favorite writers of all time, like a huge inspiration to me. And she wrote horror novels with the seriousness of writing literature. And I know that might sound like up its own ass, (laughs) but I do think there's an element to like, no, like anything I publish, the people who wrote these, and that's most of horror, right? People take it seriously. But uh, I definitely try to focus on stuff that has a, like, we're taking this seriously. This is art, Uh, which again, probably makes me sound like I'm up my own ass. (laughs) No, 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 because horror is infamously known as lowbrow anything. Like in film and literature, like whatever it goes, it's always been like a stepping stone for some people. And then once they like make it into whatever field that they're in, they completely drop it or they're um, told to change genres because horror is just, you know, just associated with the punks and weirdos and whatnot and (laughs) depravity, which is cool. Those are my people. But, you know, right. First of all, it makes me feel like I know something that other people don't about them because I'm always just like, you sick little fuck. Like, I'm always just like, people like pick up like a horror book or like, and then they're like, I'm not that into horror. And I'm just like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. No, it is always the most normal people who are the most like fucked up individuals ever that you can base your characters off of. That's I'm like, thing. yeah, right. First of all, I know you. Mm-hmm. I see you. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. act like you live in a different world than me. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say, too, is, is that a lot of times whenever, you know, we all are writers, and I was thinking about how whenever I'm writing horror, a lot of times I'm like, this is so scary because of how sad it is. You know, right. like, this is sad. And, like, being sad is scary. It's scary to be sad, you know, and stuff like that. So I think that... That's one example. Obviously, like horror just infiltrates everything. Like there's horror comedy. There's horror, you know, of everything. If you watch a rom-com, there's horror in that somewhere, especially if you're me. But a lot of people, you know, feel that way. And then also there's just those elements like horror is just kind of in everything. I think of like some of my favorite writers, like Daphne du Maurier or something, and people are like, she was a romance novelist. And I'm like, no, she wasn't. (laughs) She was a horror writer. Those stories are horror. Rebecca is a horror novel, okay? You will never tell me that it wasn't. Or Toni Morrison with Beloved, which we talked about that with Wimoto, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like where Mm -hmm. it was just like, no, Toni Morrison is a horror writer. I mean, she's she's other things too. She wrote about a lot of different things. But that is a horror book. 
But that's a horror thing to be a lot of different things at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of just plays into maybe a little bit of what you were saying. Question mark. (laughs) Yeah. I keep just saying like definitive statements and then being like, that's a question, respond. (laughs) No, you're you're absolutely right. And horror isn't even 100% like unique in that, right? Uh, I think about sci-fi a lot. And when I was younger, I read a lot of sci-fi, mostly the kind of postmodern end of it. And people like Kurt Vonnegut and Margaret Atwood were writing sci-fi. And those books are in the literature section because they reached a certain level of prestige that, and Vonnegut spoke about that at length. Like it's not I guess I'm not a sci-fi writer anymore because enough people at the New York Times liked my books. Now they're filed under literature. (laughs) And so horror has, just like sci-fi horror, has that weird relationship with people in terms of how they view it. And so I get that when I do those conventions that are more literary. And there are certainly people who are there and they're stoked about it. And there are people who come by and they look at it and they're interested even if they don't buy it. But I definitely get the people who walk by and they're like, little upturned to nose at it or like they they do the you thing like I've had that happen at table like at events <laughs> I drew a comic once that had like a pretty graphic lesbian sex scene <laughs> and people would pick up those the comic and then they would flip to a certain point and you could always tell what page they made it to because they would politely like close it and then put the scene back down <laughs> and I would just be sitting there like looking at them yep you know? yep the fun thing about being at a convention too is is that it's more about how people react to you than what you do at that right. point right yep yep for sure that's I, I have that sometimes when I'm tabling especially so I also do straight horror events sorry not like the events aren't for straight people but like i mean they're they're welcome but events that are purely horror that aren't, aren't literature <laughs> they're you <allowed>. <laughs> will we'll let you in if you if you behave yourself straight people <laughs> but i do horror events that are just horror events that aren't horror fiction events and at those i'm competing against all of the fan art that people are selling of Jigsaw and Jason Voorhees. I'm competing against the fact that Michael Berryman is there or that, you know, Linnea Quigley is there getting signatures and photos and talking to people. And it's, uh, those are also really weird because as a publisher, as a writer, I get a, a similar reaction, but it's different where people walk by and the you is, yeah, I don't read, uh, like, oh, books? Really? You brought books? And I'm like, no, you should, like, I mean, obviously I'm invested in this because it's what I do, but like, you should read these. They're really fucked up and they're really good and they will be interesting to you, uh, hopefully. But when I do those events, specifically those ones, I've had a few times when I have copies of the Book of Queer Saints, which May Murray edited and published and I wrote the the intro or the forward to anything I'm in, I generally will buy some copies to sell on the website and at tabling. And a few times I've had those at those events specifically, I'll get people who will see that book and their face will completely drop and they'll walk away. And it's like, all right, go fuck yourself, bigot. Thanks for stopping by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of what I, you know, what I'm leading into in a lot of ways too, is, is that I think that, you know, Weird Punk is a pretty explicitly queer press. Like, I think that, you know, something like The New Flesh, which I was in, and I know, you know, a ton of queer people were in that book. Yeah. 
And something that I thought that was fascinating about that, too, was just being like, wow, I didn't know how many queer people love David Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm used to being, like, the one person in the, like, room, you know, of a hundred people being like, I love the brood. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was amazing to me, sort of, to read all of these perspectives, but you're talking about something that's like not okay. We've got punk, we've got independent press, we've got horror. These are all things that are very traditionally kind of pushed to the side often. So I was curious how you feel that queerness plays into it, because I also do want to talk, you know, I want to talk about that on a personal level, but I also want to talk about that as kind of like, where does queer horror fit into the world sort of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because when I took Weird Punk over, so Emma Alice Johnson is trans, and I was like, well, the heart of the press is queer. Like, it was founded by a trans woman and given to a bi man, like a cis bi man. And it just it just is by its very nature. Weird Punk is just queer. The books I publish aren't exclusively queer, and there are some authors who I've published uh, novellas by or, and uh, books by who I'm not sure you know, what their, I, I don't know what their sexuality is. And it's a thing where like, like with Brendan is one of my best friends and I don't know with him, we've never talked about it. Uh, but I've kind of like, I just did a pride event and people were walking by and asking about the press and asking about the books. And some people will go like, which books are, cause I'll say like the press is, uh, has a lot of queer writers. The books have a lot of queer and leftist and anti-fascist subtext, but not exclusively. Like, it doesn't have to have that. The writers don't have to be queer. I just tend to queer to publish a lot of queer writers. Uh, and I had this moment of like pointing out like who I know. And then I was like, I should like Brendan and I are close enough that I should text him and ask like, is there a little buy in, in you? Like what's going on there, buddy? Uh, but it, it's just really important to me with the press that it follows that. Like I said, like when I say the heart of it is queer, it just, that's just how it is. And the body horror element, I think, especially lends itself really well to queer narratives because there's that aspect of, especially for those of us who grew up in, and I'm not saying everything's great because there's still so much anti-queer sentiment in the world, but you know, a lot of people who are younger grew up in an era or are growing up in an era where gay marriage is legal, and there are those of us all in this chat and beyond who... Uh, you know, grew up in an era like coming up in the 80s and into the 90s where it was so maligned and it was so othered that, I mean, it lends itself so well to horror in general because that sense of the other and identifying with the other and becoming the other and and being like, this is who I am. And you're if you're scared of me, fuck you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm like really rambling, but <laughs> it's just the, the press is, is and will always be as long as I run it. And I don't think I'll ever it'll ever exist without me running it at this point. Uh, it will just always be a, a home for queer horror. Queer horror is so important and so powerful. And there's a ton of great queer writers out there writing horror and I was like, well, I can focus on that because I'm sure a lot of them aren't getting covered by other presses. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yep. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, um, can you tell us a bit more about your submissions process and how that goes? Um, I think I ask every person that is involved in literature what their process is because I'm also just trying to figure out how to make the process less painful. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> so would you uh, mind just discussing on like, I know that you said that you uh, don't want to do any more open call submissions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'd just like to know your experience with that. And also, if you want to throw in something spicy, what is the worst submission you've ever gotten? <laughs> <laughs> Let me start with that. Uh, <laughs> when when we did the new flesh, I'll tie a couple things in. We did the new flesh. We received just about 200, just over 200 submissions, which is the same when we, what Joe and I did doing stories of the eye, we also received right around 200. And if the average story length is 4,000 words, that's what like, I did the math once. It's an insane amount. It's like 80,000 words. It's longer than the Bible. Uh, so we had to read like an insane amount of stories to get stories of the eye done. And that's why it's it's just too much. It's just purely on a personal level, especially in the wake of COVID, especially in the wake of like being a widower and my dog died this now last year, uh, and just like grief compounding on grief, compounding on COVID, compounding on life being crazy and all the stuff going on. I don't think I will ever have the attention span to read that many short stories in a short amount of time because you want to get them read really fast so you can get back to people because if it doesn't land, then hopefully they can sell it to a different market or use it for something else. But so when we did the new flesh, somebody sent us a story. This is a thing. If you've ever edited... Uh, anybody out there who's edited anthology anthology submissions or really any any submission pile, you will get stories from people who clearly did not read the submission guidelines. The You post the submission guidelines, within a day you've got like six or eight stories in your inbox. And certainly a couple of them are from writers who read the submission queue or read the submission guidelines, look through it and go like, okay, cool, I've got something in my trunk that's in this realm, I'll submit it. It's a story I'm happy with and I'll throw it their way. But you also get people, uh, there, there's a certain arrogance to writers. I'd say this as a writer. People think that people who like are in rock bands are bad when it comes to ego. Like the worst a guy in a rock band's going to do other than just be a terrible human and destroy people's lives is put on a guitar and go, I'm going to be a rock god. Writers take a take a pen or put their fingers on a keyboard and they go, I'm going to change the fucking world. Like the ego is ridiculous. And again, saying this as a writer, this isn't an attack. It's just an acknowledgement of the monster we have inside of us. But people with that mentality unchecked will even maybe thoroughly read submission guidelines and decide, oh, this story is good enough that they're not going to care that it doesn't fit in the submission guidelines. Yep. Right? <laughs> we got those yep. for Dakota. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No. I was just like sitting here and like my arms literally started like waving yes. because I was like, I know this one. I know this story. <laughs> <laughs> so we got for the new flesh, one of those first handful of 10 stories or whatever. We got a story submitted that was just Witcher fan fiction. Just, Witcher fan fiction <laughs> for a David Cronenberg <laughs> trivia anthology. And that is, and honestly, it wasn't bad. Like the way it was written was fine. I've, I've read worse stories, but it was like so clearly had nothing to do with anything that mm. it was the worst story I've ever received for a submission call, probably. Yeah. <laughs> the Witcher. The point fiction. was missed. Yeah. I just, I don't get it. It's really funny to me. Just read the, like, we spelled it all out there. Not even, you didn't even have to read the subtext. You didn't have to read between the lines. We said exactly what we wanted and didn't want. So that's the worst I one. I know. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's bad. But uh, in terms of the Weird Punk submission process in the now, 
I don't have one really. I don't know. So I hate to be this publisher, but I don't know if I'll ever open for general submissions for like novellas ever, just because I've watched other presses do that and they'll get hundreds. And even if they're only open for a week, they'll get like hundreds of novellas. And I, I honestly just don't have the time or the brain space to do that. Uh, which I know is frustrating to people because I get people who reach out to me a lot and be like, do you know when you're going to be open? And I'm like, at this point, I don't know that I will. But what I tend to do is I have an open invitation for people I've worked with in the past. If you're in an anthology that I've published or if I've published a previous book of yours, the door is always open for you to hit me up with a pitch on a finished book. Like it has to be done it has to fit within the the length of like the 20 to 40,000 words. Uh, and you just, it's like basically back cover copy text, like 120 pages or 120 words max. I don't want beat for beat every, everything that happens in the story, every major character explained. Like I just like, as though I picked up the book and read the back and then tones and influences on it just so I can orient my mind to what I'm about to read. And I will also from time to time, I mean, I accept inquiries anytime, like people will ask and it's fine and I'll either say yes or no. If someone's like a friend of someone I've worked with or someone who I've talked to prior about it, the door is open. If, uh, I don't know, it it honestly, because I can't detach any of Weird Punk from me, it kind of depends on where I'm at that day, where I'm, what I'm doing, if I have time, what my to be read pile looks like. Right now it's like eight which is too long. And I'm like, I've got some that I've had for a few months and I feel really bad. I just need to get them read, but I've been super busy. And that's why I don't yeah, take. You're, <laughs> you're also one person. I was right. about to say, you're yep. one person. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And this is why I don't open for, you know, for general subs, because like I have eight that I've had several for multiple months. Like I can't, if I had a queue of 200, I'd like, I would burn the world rather than try to read them all. <laughs> Not and to be I'm dramatic out. or anything. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all. Not at no, all. No, 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 no. Not at all. Well, first of all, I was going to say that we at Queer Spec also have a very vibe specific. Yeah. That's a big <laughs> thing, right? Like, we kind of have to. It's one of those things where if you're like just by yourself, it's like, I'll have friends who are just like, I have an idea. Would you be into this? And I'm like, sounds like I would be. <laughs> because honestly, that's the thing, right? Yep. Like you do think that you would be into most things that your friends come up yep. with because they sound awesome. Yeah. Um. But then that's kind of, it's like once it starts to get out, you're just like, but I don't know you. <laughs> right. That's the thing is exactly. I get messages from people who are like, I think it'd be a really good fit i've read one book i think it'd be a really good fit which is like fair i get it you're a writer people are trying to get their work out there i respect that but it is that thing of like weird punk has a very specific type of vibe and that very specific type of vibe is also pretty broad it's just weirdly things that i love and things that fit i have rejected (laughs) really really good work that's len that later gotten picked up by other presses where it i'm Mm -hmm. like fits perfectly because i read it and I liked it, but it didn't feel like a weird punk book. And I I have that. It's so frustrating. It's got to be so frustrating for writers. But I literally use that whatever asshole senator 
from the 90s about the definition of pornography. I know it when I see it. Like, I use that <laughs> to describe people what weird punk books are. Like, if someone's mm-hmm. like, yeah, what kind of stuff do you publish if I was to send you something? Or when I reject it and they'll ask why. Why why didn't it fit? It's like, I just it just doesn't feel like a weird punk book. Very scientific. Yes. I have a whole process. You don't need to see my notes. You don't look at my notes. It's just some, like, doodles of, like, a skull. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we're getting kind of to the end of the hour. So I want to talk definitely about, first of all, everybody should check out Weird Punk. You have published many novellas, many horror anthologies. And for my money, I haven't read all of them, but the ones I have read, I have been A plus, loved them. I am a weird punk (laughs) who loves horror and stuff. So maybe I'm biased, but I do think that everybody should check it out. These are like legitimately very great books. And I'm, you're one of those publishers where it's like you have like that. <clears throat> are you still doing the subscription services? I am. Yeah, it's uh, I probably next month I'll open up for 2023. This year I did it was it's five books in a shirt. And uh, next year it will probably also be five books and probably also a shirt. But I, instead of. This year was limited to 50, and I think next year I might up it to 100 because it sold out really fast. That's it. It's such a good idea. And I think it's an awesome way for people to support the indie presses that they like. We're totally stealing that idea for Queer Spec when we start doing novellas. We're not doing it yet, but... I stole that idea. So I had never seen a small press do that, uh, and I stole that idea from record labels. Gillian yeah. does it, uh, Terror Vision, the horror movie, like the really B-movie horror movie soundtrack mm-hmm. company does it. And I was like, what if a small press should do that? I'm going to do that. And then the year after I did it, I've seen four other small presses do it. So now I have competition. But And I, like everybody, you know, presses can do it. That's cool. I'm, I'm down with that. I'm just like, hey, remember, remember who stole that first? <laughs> <laughs> remember who came up with this idea? I actually remember having the idea forever ago because I read a book that was by Research, mm-hmm. that publishing company that's yes, not around anymore. I love them. It, it, I, maybe they are actually, but yeah, you don't see too much from them these days, but they publish a ton of great, completely out of print, incredibly expensive, amazing books. Yep. But there was an interview with Henry Rollins where he was like, you're the kind of publisher that I just send $100 to and just like, let me know when it's up, (laughs) basically. And I was like, that's a good idea. I should do that with more small presses. And I was like, maybe if I had a small press, I would do that. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, here we are, 2022. You do have a press. Yes. So I wanted to talk a little bit just basically like, yes, every novella. I wish we had time to talk about every novella you've put out because the whole back catalog is great. I love your commitment to kind of fostering a back catalog that has a lot of options, but you just dropped two pre-orders, right? And so we should definitely talk about those before we get out of here. So I'd love to hear just a little bit more about both of those books. And uh, afterwards, we'll talk a little bit about where people can go to find them. Oh, sure. Like I mentioned, the anthology Stories of the Eye that Joe Koch and I uh, edited. And then Joe Koch wrote The Wingspan of Severed Hands, with I, which I published. He also wrote Cuvade, uh, which Short Sharp Shocks published. And that was nominated for a Shirley Jackson Award, I believe. And then he wrote Convulsive, which Apocalypse Party published. Uh, he's a fantastic writer and a good friend. And he had this idea about a horror anthology exploring the relationship between artists and models, which is, I was like, oh, so like 
artists and like people they're painting. And he was like, I didn't go to school for, I didn't go to, I didn't graduate college anyhow, but I didn't go to college for art. And the term model really to layman's is like subject artist and subject. So it explores the relationships between that. And we did an open sub call, got a million fucking submissions for it. Uh, And the book is coming out on October 25th. It's got Danya Coles, Gwendolyn Kist, Gary Shipley, Matt Neal Hill, like a, t- a Haley Piper, gorgeous cover. Yes. Oh, and Haley Piper, Haley Piper. Yeah, a great writer. Oh, yeah, she's amazing. And again, like very queer and real. Yeah, the cover Ira Rat of Filthy Loot, who is also in the book, did the cover for us. He's done a ton of uh, design elements on weird punk covers. Like I'll pay for art, and then he'll do the the text and stuff for me. And it's. I don't know. I'm so excited for people to read it. It's a really cool, really weird. It's a very interesting book. Uh, I hope people like it. I I, I love it. Uh, we we worked our asses off to get it done. It has probably the gayest thing I've ever written in it. And I wrote a story where William Burroughs fucks an alien that's a dude. So that's saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so, A plus. Yeah, yeah. Sold. <laughs> Another copy sold. <laughs> but yeah, so that's really that'll be good. Uh, I hope I hope people like that. And then the other book that's coming out same day is my next collection, Grief Rituals, which is just a bunch of short stories that I've written kind of since Tuwalo came out. Some of them I think were written right before Tuwalo came out, but like in this kind of 2019 to last year-ish realm. And that also has amazing cover art. Fernando FLJ, I think is what he goes by on the internet. Uh, who's a painter, uh, did the cover. And again, Ira Rat of Filthy Loot did the text elements for me. And I'm over the moon with it. It's also really sad, just like Tawalo, but it's like a different kind of sad because even though it's disparate horror short stories, it's about the evolving relationship that I have with grief and being a widower and how that changes over time, which for a long time was like a weird struggle for me as a writer being like, Oh, none of the stuff I'm writing is as raw as those stories in Tawalo. And it was like this weird thing that kind of hobbled me for a while, just like being really in my head about it until I realized like it doesn't have to be because that relationship is changing. Uh, But yeah, so it's very personal. um, But there's just like Tawalo, there's a couple like stories that have grief elements but there are a little lighter a little like sips of cool water in the desert of sorrow uh but yeah so those will both be out on october 25th those all sound really amazing oh yeah no that's <laughs> it i mean pretty much same everybody should go buy those and i'm really glad that you are putting those out i've been really excited about um the anthology for a hot second that was one where it was like I looked at it and I was like, can you make it? Can you do a submission? And then it was just like, you cannot. Oh. <laughs> oh. I would have loved to have gotten from one, you, but, for one from you, but I understand. I live that uh, life. Check too. it out. I actually still wrote that story. Though, oh, good. So it will, good. something will happen. Yes. Yeah. Because it's such an interesting concept. Like, I loved that idea. Yeah. So shout out to that idea because that's just really fun. I don't think it's explored even remotely as much as it should be i agree and that idea is all joe like joe came to me with that idea fully formed Mm. and went well actually he didn't even come to me he posted about it thinking about how this would be cool and then i was like that would be cool (laughs) and then we talked about it a little i i like to say that he came to me and like 
convinced me, but he told me the idea and I went, that would be cool. Maybe we should do that. (laughs) Yeah, you should do that. And here it is. I wanted to ask too, because we're closing things out. So where can people find you and where should people go to support Weird Punk? Uh, They can support Weird Punk by buying, if you're in the U.S., buying direct from the Weird Punk website, just weirdpunkbooks.com. And both of those, both Stories of the Eye and Grief Rituals are up for pre-order only on the Weird Punk site right now. Uh, They'll be up for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everywhere else in a little while. I still, the files haven't been all like fully validated and whatnot, but uh, if supporting the press, like you want to support the press any way you can buy the books is good. Like I'm not gonna, if you want to do e-reader, you want to do whatever, that's cool. All the books are, all the digital books are on Godless for a dollar cheaper than you can find them elsewhere. Uh, But if you really want to support the press, buying directly from me is the best. And it's like literally a one person operation. I am the one hand labeling your handwriting, your address on the package and bringing it to the post office. Uh, But that, that helps the best, like buying through the weird punk store versus Amazon is literally double the money for the authors. So do that. And then you can find me, uh, you can find the press on social media, just weird punk books, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I've got a TikTok that I never use. And then me personally, Sammy Totep, T-O-T-E-P, uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. And uh, you can follow me there for a bunch of dumb ramblings about stupid shit. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the hard sell of being like, it's Yay. all stupid. Come hang out. <laughs> yeah. Worked on me. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're like friends who hang out in the flesh and for real. So you can just follow Sam and then become friends over the course of a couple of years (laughs) through various emails and short story exchanges. (laughs) Yeah, this has been wonderful. I'm so glad that we got to have this discussion. I love talking to you anytime, but it's kind of nice to have something on the record here. I've wanted to do an interview about Weird Punk for a really long time because I love a lot of the stuff. As I said, I haven't read everything, but it's one of those presses where I'm just like, let's see what's next. I want to hear some more. Like, I'm going to support it where I can. I'm going to pick it up where I can. So um, it's just been wonderful to chat with you. Yeah, same. I really appreciate it. And Monica, it was really nice to meet you this way. Uh, The three of us should all hang out at some point, too. Oh, we will. Don't worry. (laughs) Soon. Soon. Oh, actually, I meant to ask you, what is your sign? Uh, I'm a Leo, uh, which wouldn't it make sense that I went on a whole tangent about how stubbornness is the only thing that matters? (laughs) Oh, wow. Cool. So we got two fire signs and a Gemini on this podcast, and that's why it was chaos. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and hot takes and shade. So it makes yeah, no sense. I was going to say, that, that actually does explain why it was just like, you know what? Hold everything. You, fuck Stephen King. And, then, <laughs> and everybody was like, this is a normal thing to do in the podcast. <laughs> I'm here with you and let's talk about it later. Um, but also now. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Science combusting. Mm-hmm. It was lovely. I am going to say we missed SE. Yes. SE, come back. SE, where are you? <laughs> they are on vacation of 
very well-earned vacation. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't get to <laughs> meet them. But sadly, that means they they left the children in charge. And <laughs> it became... <laughs> and they'll rue the day uh, they made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> we used to be a respectable podcast. <laughs> Those days are done. And uh, yeah, no, this is wonderful. So we had a couple of other horror interviews. We have another horror interview. There's a lot of horror going on this month at Bitches on Comics. In fact, one might call it Sick Bitches on Comics. (laughs) And actually not talking that much about comics. But come back next month, we'll be back to the comics thing that we love to do. So (laughs) everybody enjoy. I will try to sleep before I record another interview. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at at bitchesoncomics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.